Damn, Mama, got my headgear on. You wake up. Headgear or headphones? Do you need them? And why or why not? Let's ride together now down the audiobook trail and we'll talk all about it. It's time to take a ride down the audiobook trail. The show dedicated to the wonderful world of audiobooks. Reading. <laughs> so exciting. Featuring award winning narrator and producer John McClain. Still cowboy. Mr. McLean, Americans, all alike. Exploring the art of storytelling. I don't know any stories. I don't know any stories. You tell a story. Once upon a time, you're a natural. From inside the booth to the tip of your earbuds. Take those ridiculous things off. And everything in between. I'm coming out of the booth. So saddle up and join us now. Man, I just want to ride, man. I just want to ride. As we take another ride together down the audiobook trail. Audiobook trail. What about John McClain? He's ready to go. McClain. Here's John McClain. All right, buckle up for Chapter 52 of the Audiobook Trail Podcast. I'm your host, John McLean. Grateful, as always, to have you on the ride today. We're going to talk headphones today. What's the big deal? The great headphone debate is coming up. We're going to talk about why it's a debate and some practical tips on why or why not you might use them in audiobooks after this. I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. Our audiobook trail hometown roundup. Thank you for listening down in Tampa, Florida, San Marcos, California, out east in Irvington, New Jersey, and back west, Boardman, Oregon. Thank you for listening all across the United States, North America. South America, Africa. We have listeners all around the world, and we thank you for joining us each and every week on the Audiobook Trail podcast. Uh, we come to you from Dallas, Texas, and are available on all the popular platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Pandora, and many, many more. It's great to have you with us today as uh, we're going to uh, talk about headphones. Also, I want to remind you that whatever platform that you are on, it would be a tremendous gift to me, uh, a tremendous solid, if you want to do me a solid uh, for all the work I put in for the podcast uh, each and every week, if you would leave us a review at your favorite platform. So, for example, if you listen on Spotify, uh, they have an opportunity for you to rate the podcast. And so if you would give us uh, whatever rating you I'm not going to be one of those people that says, hey, listen, if you can't give me five stars, don't bother. All right. Look, if you if it's a three star show, tell me because I'll read those and I'll work to do better. All right. I'm all about, uh, you know, tossing the ego aside and getting better. So whatever your honest review is, the point is, if you review it, then that tells the plat the platform that you're listening to it and you're engaged. And then that tells them maybe we ought to promote this. So it helps us out. And it's something that only costs you, you know, a couple minutes of your valuable time. So I would appreciate that very much. Uh, by the way, you can also check us out on our website. The online home of the show is audiobooktrail.com. You'll find our handy player there with the latest 10 episodes of The Trail for you to listen to at your leisure and also a place where you can get in touch with us anytime you feel like it. And write us a Dear John note. I love hearing from you. If you would do that and uh, let us know your suggestions or ways that you think we might get better at what we do. Um, or just a show idea. You know, last week, our friend Bob, who's a loyal listener of The Trail, uh, he pretty much uh, cataloged the whole show for us and, and planned it all out, you know, with some uh, great questions that he sent through that Dear John form. So if you would do that, 
that would be wonderful and uh, love reading your notes um, as you send them in to the show. Uh, there's been some news that I want to make you aware of um, in case you're not already. Coming up uh, later on the show, the government has spoken, but hasn't really said anything. We'll talk about what that means. And also, we're going to talk about a popular snack and whether or not it's affecting your brain. What in the world? Well, we'll clarify that coming up with an audiobook trail news update on the way. All right, The Great Headphone Debate. That's the title of Chapter 52 of the show. And I kind of got this idea uh, because of a little problem I had in the studio. I touched on this uh, on last week's show, so I won't rehash the whole thing because it'll eat up too much time. But what I will say is that I had a couple of issues, technical issues in the studio. I talked about one of them last week. There was another one that happened almost simultaneously, and I'm a little suspicious that one may have caused the other. I, I don't know if it was a static spark or something, you know, a ghost in the machine, whatever. Um, but I had problems with my, uh, monitor feed back to the booth. All right. And so I, and I'm not, again, we, we can talk about this later. If you want me to tell you the details, send me a note. I have a feeling it's going to be sort of boring. So I don't know that I'm going to go there, but if you want to hear about it, I'll, I'll talk about it, but let me know. Uh, suffice it to say, um, it got me thinking about headphones, the monitor. All right. To monitor yourself, to hear yourself, there's a big debate about that. Um, well, it's 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 a medium debate, but in our world, it seems kind of big. Um, and it really centers around those of us that have moved into the voice acting space from the radio space. OK, um, and so we're going to talk about monitors, what types are needful, frankly, and what the dangers are of using the wrong kind. All right. And this will all make sense by the end of the half hour, I promise. So anyone that's ever been in radio before, been a disc jockey are passionate about headphones. All right. We usually will spend a pretty good amount of money on our own headphones because using the common ones can be kind of gross. So we, we usually, we want good, big studio headphones because we, why, what, what every DJ will say, I got to hear myself. All right, I got to hear myself. That's not really the reason. The reason is, yeah, you got to hear yourself, but the yourself is the mix. You've got to hear the mix. When you're doing a radio show, you have all these elements. All right, when I'm doing this podcast, I have elements that I throw in uh, because I do this show live just like I was on the radio. Uh, that's, that's how I work. That's how I know to work. And so I need to be able to hear those elements going on behind me so that I can figure out the timing and the volume and the mix because it's live for all intents and purposes to me, it's live. And that's tremendously exciting to a radio artist. But the really, it's not about I got to hear myself. I'm, it's not my voice I need to hear. All right. I hear my voice with my ears and in my head. It's the other stuff. The reason I point this may seem obvious, but the reason I point this out is this. As I moved into the voice acting space and then, you know, drilled down even further and found a home in audiobook narration. What I discovered was, was kind of hooked on wearing headphones. All right. Because it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, if it, you feel naked without them. All right. And it's, it's, um, it's not that necessarily the sound, it's the feel of them on your head. You know, it's the, it's, it's kind of like it gives your head a hug, <laughs> you know, and, and you, and so I was, when I was starting out, you know, workshopping and, and, and learning to do this, to do audiobooks, 
I felt really strange not having headphones on. And my coaches very wisely said, get rid of the headphones. You don't need them. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. Nobody's talking about. Of course I need them. But here's the thing. There is no mix in audiobooks. All right. Assuming you're a solo performer, you don't need to hear the mix because there isn't one. The only thing that's going on is you speaking, which you can hear anyway, as long as you're a hearing person. Okay. So that was a big adjustment for me. I'll confess. Um, and I, and, and the reason I say this is because what happens is, is you get hooked on these headphones and you end up becoming obsessed with how you sound. Okay. And this is a big, big problem for, um, for radio personalities transferring and, you know, learning how to act, you know, cause that's the first thing you got to do. You've got to throw away, uh, certain aspects of the art and learn how to act. And so that's the first thing I did. I learned how to act. I, I worked in the theater. I, I, I learned some acting chops. And then I learned how to apply those to voice acting and then long form voice acting um, in audiobooks. But I had to get rid of the headphones and it was hard. All right. I'm going to unpack this a little bit um, because there's no mix. All right. So you don't need them. The date was like, well, but what's the big deal if you wear them anyway? The problem is, and it just kind of happens, I think, it's just one of those things. You start to focus on the sound of your own voice instead of telling the story instead of the craft, the art, um, especially if you've got a nice big set of isolating studio headphones that you brought from, you know, your, your radio station career or whatever, or maybe you never had anything to do with radio, but you just think headphones are cool and you like the way you sound in them. The thing is it, it tends to bend your awareness toward the sound and the, and the timbre of your voice instead of the acting, because that's everything. All right. The, the sound of your voice is not important, assuming you're hydrated and all that stuff. OK, but don't you need a monitor of some kind? Yes. If your home studio. OK, so you're all by yourself. You don't have an engineer um, listening for you. All right. You're in the room all alone and you're driving the bus and you're doing punch and roll. And we talked about punch and roll last week. If you're doing punch and roll, you're going to have to hear the recording back so that you know where to set your marker to punch back in. Okay. If you don't know what that means, uh, don't panic. We'll talk about that some other time, but, but you've got to go back and you be able to hear where you are. You don't necessarily need to be able to hear it. Like, like the listener who buys the book sometime wants to hear it, you know, because they probably will wear earbuds or earphones. Um, and because they're going to be hearing a mastered quality a recording that they're that the publisher has taken your performance and you know done their hoodoo voodoo and made it sound really good. Um, but you yourself as the performer in the act of performing the work don't need to hear as you're doing it. Your ears will do that for you. Because and, and what really got me over the hump because I, I I will confess I really struggled with this. I I I wanted to have headphones, earbuds, something on. And when I was out in L.A. studying with my coaches, I had engineer, an engineer and I had them in the room and other students. I didn't need to. I was sitting there in a chair with a copy stand in a booth doing nothing but telling the story, not pushing any buttons, not having to worry about it. They were doing all the work for me, which was kind of a, a unique experience. But it was very awkward for me. It was hard for me to concentrate because I didn't have that. 
that uh, that blankie, you know, those headphones like a blankie, you know, it's a comfort thing. But what I finally realized is, is that once I tried it for a while, I, 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 I heard what I'd been missing by not isolating myself inside my head, but allowing myself to tell the story because I began to visualize just telling a story, say at a party campfire stories is the thing I always go back to as a, as a youth, I used to camp a lot. Um, and, and, you know, in, in campouts, you tell ghost stories around the fire, you know, all those kinds of wonderful, wonderful things. That type of storytelling was really what I've reconnected with. And there's no headphones, there's no electronics involved in that. You can really separate yourself from the whole techie thing that you're surrounded with and get back to the basic roots of storytelling. And once I connected with that, I realized that the whole headphone debate for me wasn't important anymore. I was fine with not having the headphones on in the audiobook booth. Um, but it took a while. Now, um, you do have to be able to hear the playback if you're going to punch and roll, okay? Because you, if you make a mistake and go back, you've got to know where to stop to set the markers to, to tell the computer where to punch back in. So you do need that, okay? But, the, but for that, you don't require a set of studio cans. You can, you can use you know, any number of things. Earbuds are common. Um, I will tell you what I, what I use and why. Um, I used earbuds for a while, but they were uncomfortable. My ears are weird. I can't wear, you know, you see these people walking around with earbuds all the time. I don't know how they wear those. Those things hurt my ears. And, um, so I don't wear them. What I got was I got some in-ear monitors, the same kind of thing that you would use performing on a stage, um, you know, as a musician, um, you know, in the old days, they, you would put a floor monitor down and it would be a loudspeaker. And then the sound engineer would give you the mix you wanted on your particular spot. Now we've moved to these wireless in-ear monitors, which not only um, give you a mix that you can move around wherever you want away from your spot on the stage if you want to. If you're very animated, the best thing is it helps protect your hearing at the same time because they fill your ears up and then the engineer can control the volume. Okay. I have a pair of those. They're not cheap, but they're worth it because for one thing, they're extremely comfortable because they are literally molded to fit my ear. And the other thing that's nice about them is, is the sound quality is so good that I can turn the volume down to where I can barely even hear it as I'm reading. And I want that. I don't want to hear myself as I'm reading because I don't want to distract my brain and get back into radio mode. Hey, don't I sound good, everybody? That's not the point. The point is telling a story, being you, all right, being you and capturing that you without the fluff and the all that kind of thing. OK, it's a different art form. It's a different art form and it should be executed differently and with different equipment. So that's what I use mainly for comfort. And I also like the quality of those because they are very high quality um, because I can, I can, I can turn it down very low and still hear enough to know where to hit stop and get back with my punch and roll. I will tell you this, if I wasn't punching and rolling, I would not use them at all. And in the rare instances now that I do short form voiceover and every once in a while I'll get a commercial. Somebody want me to do a commercial or voiceover for a TV ad. Um, I do a lot of front of house announcements for theaters and things like that. Um, I don't, I don't even put those, I don't even put them in my ears. Because I don't need to hear it because I'm not punching and rolling that. I'm just dead rolling because editing that is fast. Um, doesn't take very long like a two-hour session would. 
So I've really liberated myself from that. But I will tell you, there are audiobook performers that never got over that hump and still insist on wearing, you know, their $300 headphones and they're good. They make it work. And so I'm not saying that it's, it's a cardinal sin to do it or that it's just wrong, but you don't need them. And if you're starting out in the art of an audiobook narration and you're trying to figure out how you're going to spend your limited budget, you know, because you got to get some software and you got to get a computer if you don't have one already. And you got to get a microphone, which usually takes up, you know, the big part of your budget should um, and an interface preamp, what have you. Um, you don't need to spend money on headphones. All right. In fact, you can use uh, you can use the earbuds that came with your phone. You know, those ones that if, if, if you're, if you can wear them without your ears hurting, I can't, but some people can, all you need to hear is just that little cue. You're listening for a cue. And if you can hear that, that's all you need. And so I turned mine down just as low as I can, I can perceive it. And uh, that gets me where I need to be. But recovering DJs uh, feel naked without those headphones. And it's a big, there's a lot of things that radio personalities have to overcome to transition into the art of storytelling for audiobooks. Um, there, there's a lot of tools you learn in radio that help, but there's a lot of things that are that are not going to help. And in fact, you have to leave on the shelf and not take with you. Um, we may talk more in depth about that. You know, I, I don't think that there's a huge audience for that kind of discussion. But again, send me a dear John note if you want to hear it. I can I can unpack that because that was quite a process for me. It was. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be frank. It was, it was emotional. It was difficult. Um, I felt in many ways like I was betraying what I'd done most of my life as I moved into a new vocation. Um, I now understand with more clarity that I'm just putting those skills on a shelf. You know, if I ever do go back on the air again, um, which I'm open to, um, if I ever do that, I can pull those back off the shelf again. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very different, I, I always tell radio people and they say, well, you know what? I, I want to get out of radio too. I want to go into audiobooks. I'm very cautiously tell them, look, you have talent, but it's a different art form. You can't just slide out of the radio station and into the audiobook booth and get going. It is, you've got, you've got to be able to act. You've got to be able to hone those skills. And then you have to develop those for acting for audiobooks which includes things like low volume nuance and mic techniques and different things that you may have learned in radio, maybe depending on what kind of stuff you did and make that translate into quality audiobook performance. All right. Um, it's two completely different. It's like, it's like, it would be like a plumber saying, well, you know, I'm a great plumber. I'm obviously going to be able to be a great electrician. I'll just go over to electrician. No, you're going to probably kill yourself because you don't have, you've got to learn you may be good with your hands, but you've got to learn different skills with them. It's the same thing here. All right. Uh, enough of that. Uh, just remember the, the, this, like almost everything else we talk about on the audiobook trail feeds into this central truth. You always want to capture the real you. Whatever goes through that wire into your recorder, you want to capture the real you. That's it. And not having distractions in your ears, on your ears, over your ears or whatever will help you do 
just that. All right, we're going to get to a news update. Couple of interesting stories for you coming up straight ahead. Don't go away. Every guitar deserves to be played. Introducing the Guitar Foster Parent channel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Guitar Foster Parent. I'm John McLean. Available now on YouTube, hosted by John McLean. I know that guitar players are picky about their picks. Not really just say that. He's not a luthier. You may be watching this and saying, I knew that. I didn't. Not a master woodworker. Well, kind of a disaster here. Not even a great player. Kind of a disaster. <laughs> but he loves guitars. Join us as we take in the unwanted and unplayed. Fix them up and then place them in forever homes where they will make music again. So here we go. This is the idea. Taking our time and being careful, checking to make sure our positioning is good. Just search YouTube for The Guitar Foster Parent. Subscribe and join the fun as we give some wonderful instruments a new lease on life. It's the gaps between that usually get the most build up. It's funny how there's so many analogies between dentistry and cleaning a guitar, but it's the same kind of thing. The Guitar Foster Parent. I can't believe I did this. Actually, yes I can. I can totally believe it. <laughs> because every guitar deserves to be played. Hot off the wire, here's the latest audiobook news. All right, this story was from last week, and it is from CNN Business. Brian Fung writes this article. He says, Only real people can patent inventions, not AI, says the U.S. government. Artificial intelligence promises to supercharge scientific research and entrepreneurial innovation, helping researchers and inventors make new discoveries and creations. But how will patent protection apply to inventions made with the help of AI tools, particularly, particularly bleh, generative AI? Well, for the first time, the United States government has provided an answer, one that will shape how everyone from large businesses to home tinkerers alike can apply for intellectual property protection. So we've talked about this in the past, how these discussions were ongoing and they hadn't really come to a decision. Now they have. The article continues, the decision could influence the future of billions of dollars in investments and subtly guide how artificial intelligence is marketed and used. On Tuesday, this was the past, this past Tuesday, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office said that to obtain a patent, a real person must have made a, quote, significant contribution, end quote, to the invention, and that only a human being can be named as an inventor on a patent. The official guidance published this week provides a boost to innovators by reassuring them that their inventions involving AI can be patented while continuing to enshrine human creativity and ingenuity by establishing basic expectations about how AI could make or break a patent application. So this is interesting. Um, and I want to read one more paragraph from the story because if you probably have the same question that I had when I read this. What exactly does significant contribution mean? How do we quantify that? Here's what uh, the article says. Precisely what constitute a significant contribution is a little bit fuzzy and case-specific, and much of how the guidelines work will necessarily be figured out in real time as they are applied and perhaps in some situations debated in court. So there you have it. So basically, the patent office is essentially just recognizing that, look, computers and humans are not the same thing. And to me, that's significant because I was really worried for a time that we weren't even going to get there. 
But now the patent office has said, look, you, the, the, the significant contribution has to be there if you're going to get a patent. If you're inventing something and you're using AI tools to help you out, okay, um, then you're going to have to prove to the patent office that you made the significant contribution. Um, you know, I guess you could say the lion's share or the heavy lifting. And they're going to take it on a case-by-case basis. And as they do that, precedent will be set and, uh, you know, if necessary, it will wind up in the court, which I would imagine in many cases it's going to be necessary. Um, but in time, a precedent will develop as to what significant contribution means. But they're not going to issue patents to AI tools, to computers, to Mr. Roboto. Um, and, you know, of course, they can always change their minds, you know, because the U.S. Patent Office is part of the bureaucracy and another election happens. We get a different president and they could change the whole thing. But in the meantime, this is where the U.S. Patent Office is landing on this. So they are looking at it and we will continue to see what's hap- what's going to happen um, as we move forward with this type of technology. And speaking of technology, do you have popcorn brain? What is popcorn brain? Well, an article from the New York Post says that popcorn brain is how social media may be killing your attention span. Tracy Swartz writes, this may seem corny. (laughs) I like that. But if you're feeling overwhelmed by the nonstop pace of digital media and find yourself struggling to concentrate on a single task or thought, you might have popcorn brain. Popcorn brain refers to the tendency of our attention and focus to jump quickly from one thing to another like popping corn kernels, says clinical psychologist Dr. Daniel Glazer. Uh, He told that to the Metro UK last week. Popcorn brain isn't new, by the way. The term was coined in 2011 by University of Washington researcher David Levy. But mental health experts are sharing new ways to combat the phenomenon as our lives become more digital. One study found that 62.3% of the global population is on social media, with the average daily usage last month clocking in at 2 hours and 23 minutes. 2 hours and 23 minutes a day, on average. A psychologist, Danielle Haig, told Glamour UK last week that excessively scrolling and browsing through new posts, alerts, engagements, and ads triggers a small dopamine release that rewards the brain and fuels the cycle. She explains, over time, this constant demand for attention and the rapid switching between tasks can lead to a feeling of mental restlessness or the brain bouncing around as it struggles to maintain focus on any one task for an extended period. All right, so, you know, part of me says, uh, duh, right? You know, obviously, this is something that, because we're changing the way we're taking in content and information, However, how many of you know someone, or maybe you, have been diagnosed with ADHD, Attention Deficit Disorder? I know almost everybody I know, well, uh, not, uh, well, yeah, I guess I could say almost everybody I know under the age of 40 has been told they have this. I, I, don't, I don't know hardly any young people that haven't been. And I am convinced, and I could be dead wrong, I'm not a doctor, Full disclaimer, but I, I am an observer of things, and I'm an observer of people, and I'm an observer of communication. I'm convinced that when we got the smartphone in the pocket and when we got the social media on the smartphone, that 
we started tumbling down this attention deficit problem. All right. Our brains adapt. We are beings that adapt to our, that's how we survive the ice age. We adapt to our environment so that we can survive. And our brains adapt to the ways that we use them. And when we are asking our brain to flip to this and flip to that, you know, what's the old joke about? Oh, look, a chicken, you know, our brains will eventually expect that. And then when we get in a situation where we need to concentrate for a while, like say studying for an exam or learning a new skill, or we really have to focus and concentrate, we can't do it. We have attention deficit. I think we need to take a very hard look as a culture, as a society, and as you know, grownups influencing young people um, to really be careful about this kind of thing. I will tell you what I've done, and I'm not a big fan of social media anyway. You're like, yeah, no kidding. You never post. You're right. I don't. I don't. That's not. It doesn't. I don't get anything out of it. However, I do look at it. But I have told my phone has a function where I can say, after 15 minutes, you are cut off until tomorrow. And I've I have that set on all my social media apps because I don't want to get sucked down the tunnel and teach my brain that, you know, you can only pay attention to, you know, something eight seconds at a time. All right. That's just how I roll. But that's kind of interesting. They're now discovering this dopamine and they say dopamine is the most addictive substance there is. I mean, so you have to be careful about it. And so be careful about, you know, shorting your brain out with this kind of stuff because it can be uh, harmful in the long run. You got to really, really watch yourself. No, I did not watch the Super Bowl. I got a note in my dear John. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, and I haven't for a while because it seems like almost everything in the Super Bowl now is about everything except the game. And so that's my thing there. Uh, baseball season for me usually starts at the end of the NFL regular season. Um, and baseball's here. Spring training action gets underway this week in Florida and Arizona. I am so ready to get back on the diamond. Very, very excited about that. Have a super day. I would love to get a note from you and the dear John Payne. So uh, send me a note and we'll see you next week. Thanks for riding with us, my friends. Chapter 53 comes your way one week from now. Bye-bye now. Thanks, friend. Riding with us down the audiobook trail. The audiobook trail. You've been great having you along. Stop on by audiobooktrail.com for more. And while you're there, drop us a line. We always love hearing from you. So long for now. From the audiobook trail. See you next week. Okay. Goodbye.